I was here this morning very, very thankful to have the opportunity to continue to share the West Institute with this incredible church. Um, I also said this morning, for me, it's, it's really unique that I have the opportunity. I do go back to places twice, but typically they're college ministries or mission organizations. I was in Tijuana, Mexico just a couple weeks ago working with Radius International. They train missionaries that are going to unreached people groups, and I've gone there multiple times and really love that. I speak Spanish, so me and a member from our church is now down there working, so I got to visit him, and um, I love that. But to be able to go to a church multiple times for me is very unique, and being in this church for me, I don't know why, it just always invokes something in me. I just think uh, the overall reverence for the Lord is something that is obviously here, and I'm very thankful for this place. Um, I mentioned very quickly, and sometimes I have to be careful with this because I do it without thinking a lot, is throwing little tidbits of my testimony out there without any caveats. But this morning when I was talking about the West and the impact it had in my life, I said very briefly about my dad married and divorced five times by the time I was 12. Um, I grew up in, a, in an environment that was dysfunctional at best. It was a very, very difficult environment to be involved in. My, my mother uh, was a drug addict, and, and I was removed from that home whenever I was young, and my dad had to file for divorce so that he could keep my brother and I. And then my, my dad's issues and struggles with alcohol and was, was continued, and that led into just lots of bad relationships and divorces. And But in all that, I say that is I had a saving grace in my life before I met the Lord, and that was my grandmother. So my grandparents are two of the most important people in my life. They've both now gone to be with the Lord. But my grandmother uh, was just an incredible, incredible woman. She was a product of uh, the Depression era. She grew up in, in the panhandle of Texas in the Dust Bowl. And I remember my grandmother telling me stories of when she would go out as a kid and she would sweep her front yard which is a random thing, but when you live in the panhandle of Texas in the Dust Bowl, you would sweep your front yard to keep the dust out. Both of her sisters uh, were younger, and they both had polio. They were both in wheelchairs. So my grandmother was held back six years from high school so that she could go to high school with her sisters to carry them through school, literally. And to think of just her sacrifice, my grandmother loved the Lord. She taught herself to play piano, and she was really not that great at it. But all the hymns that I do know are usually a little off-key, but they came from her. Whenever I was 17, like I said, I got invited to a a youth group, and and I have a long story about that, but he kept inviting me and kept, to be honest with you, kept pestering me, saying, you should come to youth group. You get out of football practice early, and you don't have to run, and there's a free meal, and all the prettiest girls in our high school go there. And so finally I said, okay, I'll go. And and I did, and all joking aside, the, the youth pastor shared the gospel from the book of Romans that night. Uh, I had never heard that. I, I grew up in a West Texas town to where there's the Baptist church and there's the Catholic church, and you've got a cross on one church and you've got a cross on the other with Jesus on it, and I didn't understand the difference. Um, and hearing that there was a man who came and lived the life that was sent by his father and that the whole time he knew me and he came and he died for me and for my sins was something that was very foreign to me. Um, I truly believe that that youth pastor that night had something ready to to speak on, likely in in a sermon series, and then Jeremy Smith walked in, and I was the only kid that was there that was not a believer, and and he changed his message because he saw me, and he shared the gospel. I believed in my heart that Jesus was Lord before I had ever read a verse of scripture, and that right there is God's providence. That is my grandmother instilling those hymns in my life whenever I was a young kid, and so all that to say, I'm very, very thankful to have this opportunity to be able to open God's word is something that 
um, is something I'm not deserving of, but it's also something that's not lost on me. I understand the challenge. I'm very, very thankful for this. I want to say one thing real quick, and we're going to jump into the message. Pastor said I have an hour. I probably won't preach for an hour. Um, but I want to um, just say one thing about the Weston suit. I didn't do it this morning, um, but I want to challenge all of you that are here. I truly believe that our seminary is, is designed for the believer. It doesn't matter if you're graduating college. It doesn't matter if you have a family. Our program was literally designed to be something that provides an opportunity for every believer to be able to study God's word, to understand God's word at a high level, but also to see how that's being lived out in their life so that God would use you for a blessing for the local church. For us, that's what we're convicted about. Students who come to the West are not all going into full-time ministry. In fact, the majority of them are not. The majority of people who come to the West Institute have a conviction in their life that they honestly don't know God's word. And then that probably they're not living a lot of things out that they should be as a Christian. And they see that they can accomplish that by coming to the West. We're a one-year program that's intentionally designed to walk you through the scriptures. Uh, We are definitely on the conservatives. We believe God's word is inerrant and infallible. We believe that it is applicable for our life. We should be obedient to God's word. And so while students are studying, that's our job as a staff, is to challenge these students. Okay, it's one thing to profess something in your life to be true. It's another thing to profess it and actually live it out. There is actually a huge, huge disconnect in our world between those two things. I grew up in West Texas where a lot of people wore statement shirts about God and about Jesus, and yet their life did not reflect that at all. At the West Institute, we are not perfect, but that is our mission. That is what we are convicted to do. Personally, I never saw myself working for a seminary. I can promise you that. I was an extremely, extremely lost person all the way until I was 17 when I heard the gospel. Still to this day, I've served as a youth pastor in Texas for eight years, and then I was on the mission field for seven in Costa Rica. And I still have a desire to share the gospel with lost people. That is more of my, I think, my spiritual gifting. But the West Institute so radically impacted my life, I've felt convicted to stay and to work for this program ever since. I don't know when the Lord's going to move us on or if he will. But if he does, then I will. If not, I'll stay obedient to where I'm at. So the West Institute is designed for you. So I would ask you to pray about that if that's something that you might be able to do in your life. Let's pray and we'll get into the message. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, this church, for this opportunity to open your word, Lord, and and to seek it earnestly in its application for our life. Lord, I pray that as we dive into your scripture, Lord, that it would be more than just words on a page, and Lord, that I would be more than someone who's just speaking. God, we know, as we heard this morning from this message, Lord, we are supposed to live a life of joy. Lord, throughout the scriptures, it is laden with this understanding of understanding you, Yahweh, putting our face unto you, Lord, and that would produce a joy that is really not of this world. Lord, I pray as we look into your word today that we would all remember our salvation. We would remember who you are on a daily basis. Father, we love you. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We will be in Psalm 119. I have a few other verses I'm not going to do as many as pastor did this morning, but I do have a few other verses. I'd like for you just to stay in Psalm 119. We'll start in verse 1. But the theme of my message today is to remember your salvation. You guys are probably thinking, man, that is such a random... Obviously, we know that we're believers. I'm not questioning your salvation. What I'm trying to do is challenge you as a church. I have the opportunity to travel a lot. I was counting as I was driving back to my hotel that I've flown 31 times, this is 31 different flights this semester alone, and I have two to get home. 
Uh, in about a month, I'm going to Alabama with another church that we have a alumni. But 31 times I've had the opportunity to fly this semester. And I want you guys to actually search in your heart and to remember your salvation on a daily basis. Today, it was actually really interesting yesterday as I was flying in. So I went to the University of Oklahoma. I went to lots of different universities, but I had a stint at the University of Oklahoma. So I'm a pretty devout Sooner fan, which is frustrating when you lose to Baylor, when you're ranked like six. It's like, come on, guys, it's not that hard. Like, we, we should be able to throw the ball left-handed and, and be, no offense if you're left-handed, but to be able, I mean, we should be able to beat Baylor. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're not even Baptist and they claim it, but anyways. <laughs> But it was funny, on the flight in, it was full of Ohio State, and of course, they, I'm an Oklahoma fan, but I don't wear Oklahoma, it just feels weird to me, to just, I just don't do that, I don't know why, I played college football at a little D3 school, but on the way in, the co-pilot kept interrupting and announcing to everyone on the flight, anytime Ohio State would score, did you guys see the score? Like, it was a lot of interruptions, I mean, he was coming on like every two minutes, and there was, there was several Michigan State fans on the flight, and they were wearing Michigan State gear as, as you know, a good fan would do. And it's interesting because I was sitting there with my iPad open, and I was looking at this message, and I was looking at this theme of reminding ourselves of something. And I had two thoughts. It's really unfortunate if you're a Michigan State fan on this flight because you're being reminded perpetually that your team should have never been ranked as high as they were. You just got slaughtered by Ohio State, who hugely jumped in the polls, by the way. Shows you how off those pollings are, you know. But then the second thing I thought of was, I'm in the middle of this flight. There's a couple hundred people on the plane. And we get interrupted every two minutes about a football game. And I was literally thinking about the Old Testament. And I was thinking about how many times Israel was interrupted in the middle of their day to remind them of who Yahweh is. Perpetually, It was a part of their daily ritual and what they would do. They would wake up in the morning and they would do certain things to remind them of who God was. Why doesn't that happen anymore? No one was coming on that intercom, I can promise you, reminding us that we have a Savior. Not once. Probably hasn't happened in hundreds of years that that would ever happen. And I was just thinking about, again, as I travel, one of the things that I've noticed in our Christian culture is this theme, especially in the last couple of years, this theme of fear, this theme of anxiety, this theme of doubt, confusion, hate. And yes, I'm talking about within the church. Often when I go places, I get just the unbelievable opportunity to hang out with college kids. Um, and so many of them are struggling with anxiety and fear, not only because they're getting ready to graduate and the whole work climate looks so odd, but also because of the climate that exists in our, in our country specifically. And I'm not talking about just politically. I'm talking about you look someone in the eye and you wonder if they're vaccinated or they wonder if you're vaccinated or you wonder if they're wearing a mask and you've got all these crazy dynamics. And no one is walking around every two minutes reminding people that Christ is Lord. And it's something that's really burdened me, to be honest with you. It's something that I've been thinking about not only for other people, but also in my own life. I've started to stop and try to say, okay, what do I do on a daily basis to remind myself of my salvation? I'm going to get to the point here in a minute, so my, my whole, this is not about you, but I want to focus on that idea for the first couple minutes. This idea to remember, if you were going to kind of bring that out, and you, what does that even mean? Like, what's the semantic range of the word remember? How would you use that? And generally speaking, it's, 
It's used to recall something or to recount something, both of those things. Recall would be something in your mind. It's something to remember, to think of. I do it often about recalling stories about my grandparents because they were the most wonderful people that I've ever seen in my entire life. My grandfather was a World War II soldier. He enlisted in the Army whenever he was 16. The only reason why he was able to do that is because he was 6'4". Uh, he couldn't read or write, so it was kind of that whole idea of whenever he went and enlisted, they said, make your mark, because he couldn't sign his name. He just, just scribbled something. He was in France in World War II, and he's on, the, he's, on the, he's on the front. It was towards the end of the war, and he had his 18th birthday. My granddad was a cook, so it's not like he was on the front line just doing all this crazy stuff. He was a cook providing meals every day. And I think that's probably because they realized when he was in boot camp he couldn't read or write, so you're probably not going to give that guy a gun. But, um, and they, they actually asked him for some flour to make himself a cake. And they made him a cake, and then they presented it to him. And I, I'm not familiar on all the, the military language, but whoever was above him, his superior, said, Smith, how old are you? He said, I'm 18. He said, how long have you been here? He said, a year and a half. <laughs> it doesn't really make sense when you couldn't enlist until you were 18, but he, he did. And so this idea of recalling, I recall their stories all the time. I recall them to my mind, and it's something that impacts me on a daily basis. Also, the other thing would be to recount something. The idea of recounting would be remember something that actually plays out in an action in your life. So the reason why I want to focus on this today is because as I have read the Old Testament specifically, the command for Israel, God's chosen people, to remember was given well over 100 times. I I stopped counting. I think I was up to 144 in Lagos. I was like, okay, they'll get the point, right? Well over a hundred times did God himself speak to Israel as a nation and ask them to remember. It seems like such a funny word, honestly. I know that's just me, but to think about that. In Psalm 143, verses 5 and 6, it says this, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Selah. If you look at the beginning, he says, I remember the days of old. This is David speaking. And he's remembering the acts and the words and the promises of the God who had revealed himself to his chosen people. I remember the days of old. It's incredible for me to think about that. Because whenever I think about this idea of remembering in the Old Testament, I I just think as an individual, if you were an Old Testament Israelite and you are wherever you are in that process, You will remember what God has done because God has reminded you repeatedly about what he has done, but you also know the actions that you're doing. Israel was was wicked. They did horrible things every week, all the way into where God brought all these prophets on the scene to speak to them, to, to to call them to remember the faithfulness of Yahweh, and then look at you and your unfaithfulness. And yet David is sitting here saying, I remember the days of old because he's remembering Yahweh. Now, I want to get to Psalm 119, if you would. So let's go there. We're going to be in the first couple verses, and then we're going to skip to 129. But I want to read those first eight verses. And I want to ask you to look for the word testimony, because we're going to talk about that. Psalm 119, verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. 
having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Now, Psalm 119 is a famous psalm. I, I get it. You, you can, it's got lots and lots of different sections, and it's just an incredible, incredible uh, word from David in his prayer. And, and as we look at that, there's something that really, really stood out to me. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. When you look in the Old Testament, and especially when you talk to people there, one of the things about us that's in this conservative realm, we believe in God's word, and uh, people will accuse us of having two ways of salvation. They'll say in the Old Testament, all, you know, you didn't really have to, to be, you just had to keep God's law, and that's, that's what we're putting forward, and that's not the case at all. When you look at this, it said, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. It's incredible when you look at like the definition of a testimony, that would be an act or a work of something that was meant to be remembered and testified of in the future. So when you look at my testimony, I already shared it with you about me giving my life to Christ at the age of 17 because I heard the gospel and I knew my own wickedness. No one had to convince me of that. Uh, they had to convince me that I needed a savior and it, it didn't take long. I knew that the word was true. And then as I move forward, I have this testimony. I have this life that I am called to live unto the Lord with my eyes focused on him. What's beautiful about this in the Old Testament, we know this from the book of Hebrews because it says, and by this person, his way, he was counted righteousness because of faith. They were counted righteous because they believed in Yahweh and the promises that he had promised to them. He also, they also believed in who God said he was, not only because of the things he did, but just because he was Yahweh, he presented himself in front of them. So as we move forward, he says in verse 4, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. When you look at the Old Testament saint, what, what were they doing outside of just believing? They were understanding the testimony. They remembered the testimony of God, the one who had come, presented himself to them, and then they were tasked to actually keep those statutes, keep the commands of the one who had presented himself. Oh, that my ways, oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. He is asking for the Lord's help. And then lastly, in verse 8, he says, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. As we move forward tonight, I, I want to continue to ask you guys this. I want to ask you, when you wake up on a daily basis, do you remember your salvation? I don't mean this jokingly, but some of your salvation has been longer than I have been alive. Or especially since I was a believer. It was an interesting point in my life whenever I turned 34. I'm 41. But I, I thought half of my life has been in Christ. How many of you guys actually have that connection to the moment whenever Christ saved you? How many of you guys remember that truth? The reason why I'm bringing this forward is because I honestly believe that one of the reasons why the church today is struggling, and, and not necessarily this church, but just the church in general, is because many, many people are just content in their salvation. Praise the Lord, we can be. But how many of you guys wake up on a daily basis and say, Lord, thank you. I remember when you saved me, and I've got some reasons why I think we should do that. And then in Psalm 119, verse 129, let's spend a second in this section. Verse 129 through 136, it says this, Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. 
The unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. May your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Whenever I was reading this psalm for the first time, it was about two weeks ago, I was really praying over this message and trying to ask the Lord to give me a direction. And, and again, I'd had this conviction about what I've seen as I travel and just this theme of, of people being confused and living in a world that is right now is, is as interesting as we've seen in a while. And again, I'm only 41, but in, in what I have seen. And whenever I came upon this section of the Psalms, it really intrigued me. Because I'm thinking about David when he lived and thinking about what he was experiencing because not only was the nation in large parts of Israel were they struggling to follow the Lord. They were searching after things that they thought would give them life, that would protect them, that would provide for them, and they were all failing, just as we see in our culture today. When you look at all the things that exist today and people are saying, you don't need God, you just need to be uh, really, really hardworking, you need to just love yourself and love everyone else. It's not horribly sounding, but we know that there's no life outside of Christ and Christ alone. And when you look at David, I think he was experiencing the same thing. And not only was this his prayer and lifting it up to the Lord, but it was meant for us. The people that heard it in that day all the way through the church. And again, it says your testimonies are wonderful. What God had revealed about himself was wonderful. God, what you have said that you are going to do, you are a covenant keeping promise keeping God and you are wonderful. And then he says, therefore, my soul keeps them. I don't keep them because it has good for me in my life. Yes, it does. But that's not the point. I keep them because your testimonies are wonderful. They are true. The unfolding of your word gives light. It gives direction. It leads us. It helps us. It sustains us. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant. That's an incredible word. Have any of you guys ever uh, ran a cross-country race in West Texas in August? It's as miserable as it sounds, I can, I can promise you. I live in Laramie, Wyoming. We're at 7,200 feet. So I have, a, I have a house that has three different levels, and I go to take my son down to his bed, and when I come back up, I'm panning. And I, and I realize, man, I, I need to work out more because that sh- I shouldn't be losing my breath whenever I do that. But his whole point is that he desires and thirst after the Lord. He, he wants to, to ingest what, what, the, what the word is giving to him, to bring that to himself. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. It's speaking of a desire. Turn to me and be gracious to me. This is where in the middle of this psalm, he not only proclaims some things to be true about God, but then he starts asking the Lord for a few things. He asks for guidance in 132. Turn to me and be gracious to me as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise. Again, direct my paths. Now, I do believe that this is David who's remembering his faith in Yahweh. He's bringing that to account. He is remembering the testimonies and how wonderful they are. And he says, redeem me from man's oppression. Protect me that I may keep your precepts. 
I know that you, have, you desire that I be obedient to your word, and I know that I cannot do that in myself. I need your help. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. I think in a worldly sense, what he is asking for is the wisdom of the Lord. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. How many of you guys literally wake up on it? I don't know what news you watch, whether it's digitally or I haven't had a TV in, in almost 15 years. And partially it's just when we were in Costa Rica, we had no access to anything. We lived in the jungle. We had no cell phone, internet. We had pretty much nothing, no cable, no radio. And so when we came back to the States, we thought, why add it back to our family when it hasn't been there? And uh, since we, we've had two kids and um, we don't we don't have that as a part of our life, but um, Nonetheless, you keep up with what's going on in the world. You know what's going on around you. You know the division and all these things that exist. And do do you actually say the same thing that David does here in 136? My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Friends, as we consider these things, the reason why I say all this is because I want you guys to daily make it more of a habit to remember your salvation. Why do I say all that? Why did we read the Psalms? Why did we look at We are not in the Old Testament. Believe it or not, we are not Israel. We are in the dispensation of the church. We're in the period of where God is working through what was a mystery in the Old Testament, and that is the church, which Christ is the head of. We are called to remember God's testimony and his faithfulness. And I don't mean just when we come on Sundays or Wednesdays or whatever is your tradition. I mean on a daily basis. We are called to remember our salvation. Whenever I think about this and I think about what, what I typically see so often is people who are operating out of just the normal norm that we have in the United States of America. And that's you wake up, you try to fuel yourself so that you can get through the day. Halfway through the day, you wonder why you have no energy. And then you go home and you just do whatever you have to do to survive the night. And then you crash and then you wake up and you do it all over again. And for me, I honestly believe as the church that we're called to be different than that. Now, if you are in the grind of having young kids, so I have a two-year-old, his name is Wit, a little boy, uh, 9,000 miles an hour all day long. He loves to do everything that he shouldn't do, to destroy things, to, he's just a sweet little boy, but he's 150 miles an hour. I also have a six-month-old little daughter, her name is Poppy. Um, incredible miracle of the Lord, which I'll share in just a second. But whenever I think of my day, I wonder, how can I add something in than what I'm already doing? Friends, what I'm asking you to do is to come into a mental state. I'm not asking you to physically really do anything more. You may need to add more to your walk with the Lord. We're reading scripture, being active in prayer, worshiping of the Lord. But I'm just asking you to think. I'm not asking you really to expend any more energy than you do already. But I think if you're like me, you often have gotten into a routine to where when you wake up, at the end of the day, you would probably think, I haven't actually thought of who I am in Christ yet today, and it's 9 o'clock at night. Now, if that's not you, forgive me, and when you leave here, have a milkshake on the way home and go to bed. But if if you are like me, I pray that that would impact you. Because I honestly believe as believers, especially where we are right now in this culture and in this time, we're called to be different. If you think about who you are and who you are in Christ, I'm often reminded of a verse in Colossians chapter 1 
And Paul said this to the church. He said, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. How many of you guys wake up on a daily basis and remind yourself of that truth? And I'm bringing this to you, friends, because I know that I don't. And it's been convicting in my life. How many of you wake up on a daily basis and remind yourself that you were once alienated and hostile in mind, separated from the Lord with no hope, doing evil deeds? He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. What would your day look like if you wake up daily and remind yourself of that? If you're a high school kid, the environment that you're going into today is so much different than what I experienced in the 90s. And it was kind of weird in the 90s. Grunge came out, and we wore these really kind of Jinko pants, which were like, you could fit four legs in each side of your body. I mean, it was a weird period of time. Bands were coming out, and it was the most cool thing to have lines and songs that legitimately made no sense. And my granddad was calling me names that you're not really becoming of a believer, but that's how stupid it was. And the stuff that you guys deal with today is so much harder than what I dealt with. I had no internet in high school. It came out the year I went to college, 1999. It existed before that, but poor kids in West Texas, we didn't have internet in our home. But for those of you that are in high school, college, and you're dealing with a world that's so different from us, how many of you guys wake up on a daily basis and remind yourself that you have been saved in Christ Jesus? If you started that, what would your day look like compared to what it looks like now? For those of you that are in the workforce and you're doing things, you've got your normal routine and you're in office setting, maybe not, I don't know what it's like here in Ohio, but in Wyoming, you would never know that COVID ever happened. I mean, it's just like, you don't tell Wyoming people what to do. So no one wears masks and they don't like Biden. And outside of where I live in a liberal town because it's the university, but I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And this idea, and you were once alienated and hostile in mind. But the whole point is you were once. We are no longer this way. We are called to step foot outside of our house and be different. Yes, we encounter things that are so frustrating. And should we stand for the truth? Absolutely. But you also need to remind yourself of who you are in Christ. How much would that truth impact your work? How much would that truth impact the way that you operate in high school? walking down the halls on a daily basis, interacting with your teammates. As you're in college, in dorm rooms, in classes, how, how does that change you if you remind yourself of that? You were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. One of the things that's been so convicting to me as I have been praying about this is just realizing that this whole idea of salvation is not about Jeremy Dean Smith, born October 31st, 1980 in Abilene, Texas. Yes, I was born on Halloween. Don't focus on that. And yes, every year I'm born on Halloween. People always ask me that. It's a weird question. I tell them because it's not a rotating holiday. It's like it's October 31st every year. But think about that. I remember and I look back on the majority of my Christian walk. And I think about the fact that for the majority of my Christian walk, I honestly thought that salvation was just because of me. Like, I did it. I'm now saved. I'm in Christ. I'm different. 
Thank you, Lord. But that was the end of it. It was all about me. Now, the reality is our salvation, we are the ones that get the benefit of our salvation, but it's all for the glory of God. And that was the part that I didn't understand. The reason why I'm bringing this to you guys today to remember your salvation is so that God will be glorified in all that you do. I'm not recalling you of your salvation or asking you to remember your salvation so that you can just be thankful. I'm asking you to do that so that it would impact the way that you're living in this world, which is so chaotic. And I think that that is truth. But I'm asking you to do that so that God would be glorified. This past May, my wife and I went on a fishing trip. Now, I'm not a huge fisherman. It sounds really exotic. I'm, it's not, I just got invited to go. So my wife and I, we took our two-year-old son. He was, I guess, one, a year and eight months at the time. And we went to this really beautiful lake in Wyoming. It's about two and a half hours from Laramie up in the mountains. And we were with a couple of elders in our church and their families. And we were all, my, all the guys were out fishing and all the kids were on the beach just having a great time. And it's a beach in Wyoming. The water's still 40 degrees, it feels like. It's, kind of, it's just this weird phenomenon. I don't get it. But anyways, the kids were having, after a while, your feet go numb and you don't really care is the, is the theory of the way it works. But we were all having a good time. My wife calls me and, and she says, hey, I don't feel very good. So she was about seven and a half months pregnant at that time. And we already have a kid, so it's not, it's not like she didn't know what it's like to have a kid. By the time I got to the shore, about 30 minutes later, she's, she's in a bad way. She's not feeling good, really, really uncomfortable. So we get in the car. It takes us an hour to get around the lake. It's a massive reservoir. It basically feeds all of Colorado. And when we get to the interstate, my wife, is, her contractions are about a minute and a half apart. And I'm sitting here driving. I'm driving a Subaru. It's not like I'm driving a Corvette. And so I'm thinking, how fast can it? It's probably as a governor somewhere along. It's going to slow me down somewhere along the way. So we call the hospital in Laramie. And whenever we get a hold of them, they, they say, no, you need to stop it. As soon as you, you can't go from where we were to Laramie, it's all canyon. And I have a wilderness first responder certificate, but I'm not a doctor. Basically, wilderness first responders, you might not kill somebody. Um, and I'm thinking, like, we have got to get to a hospital. We pull into Wheatland, Wyoming, which is, it's like a vet clinic. I'm not lying. I mean, it was just, they have a traveling doctor. If you're from Wheatland, no offense. Um, but it's this small, small little town, and we pull into this hospital, and they're freaked out, and we're freaked out, and we're not sure what's going on, and we don't, you know, the baby's, like, here, and I'm holding my one-year and my 20-month-old son, and we get into the delivery room, and about 25 minutes later, we have a little girl literally in our hands. We named her Poppy because she was born Memorial Day weekend. The reason why I bring this up is because it was an incredible moment. Just, I've always dreamed of, of having a little girl. I didn't grow up around girls at all. I didn't grow up around a mother, just my grandmother. I only have brothers. And to see this little girl, and she was just so beautiful. And a couple minutes in, she's really, really struggling to breathe. And, and me and the excitement of it, and you know, my son being there with no one to give him off to, and just all the craziness, I didn't recognize the signs, but my wife did. And so she's asking the nurses, hey, there's something going on here with our daughter, like her feet are purple, which is not actually that abnormal when they're born because it got to get circulation going and oxygen and everything. But my wife knew she was grunting and just having all these issues, and they didn't really know what to do. They didn't even have a nasal cannula that would fit her because she was, I guess, almost six weeks pregnant. She was five pounds when she was born. And it just started to go down. Her, her blood oxygen, when they finally were able to test it, which was a total mess, but when they were finally able to test it, she was at like 75%. And then just within the next couple hours, it just started to drop and drop. And, and we're really, really concerned. They're not that concerned, but the only reason why they weren't is because they had no idea what they were doing. 
Um, they were trying, but they were just not equipped for that scenario. Really, really fast delivery, young baby. Um, so they're trying to do all these crazy things. They end up calling a life flight. And so I'm sitting on a plane with my three-hour-old daughter, which even to get her stabilized enough to get on the plane, they couldn't get IVs in her at all. So they had to go through her umbilical cord, which is just the hardest thing I've ever had to witness in my life to see that. And she's struggling to breathe. And I, I got on the plane and we're on the tarmac and it takes them another 30 minutes to get off the tarmac. And they had to send a propeller plane, like not even a jet because the winds were so strong. It's Wyoming. It's always windy. And we finally get close to getting in the air. And I had this, this reflection that happened. I remembered, and I'm not praising me, I'm praising the Lord and his faithfulness is I remembered that God is sovereign. I'm not saying it made it any easier. I was bawling like a crybaby and really, really struggling because I'm the only one on the plane with these two medics and all these bells and whistles continue to keep going off. I can't get out of my seat. I have no idea what's going on. And I had this peace that came over me and I remembered that God has saved me. He has been faithful to me and ultimately God is in control. It was by far, I've had some really, really hard situations in my life. And nothing has been that difficult. And the only reason why it was understandable in my mind was because I remembered my salvation. And I remembered that God is in control of all things. Now, we ended up getting to Denver, and it's just this crazy process. We spent two weeks in the NICU. Needless to say, she's the most healthy, most beautiful girl you've ever seen in the history of your life. And she will never date anyone. Uh, she's going to live in my house and wear sweatpants until she's 50. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, it was, you know, it's just incredible how God can, can impact your life if you saturate yourself in his word. And for me, that was honestly, since I've gone to seminary, not that you have to go to seminary, but it was the first time in my life I ever studied God's word and understood God's sovereignty and, and understood God's goodness and reflected on my salvation that I actually had a situation to, to, to practice that. My point of bringing that story is I don't think that you need a life crisis or a really, really crazy difficult situation to have a moment where you can stop and say, no, Lord, you're in control. You are good. You and your grace have saved me by nothing that I deserve or have done. And in that, all the glory is unto you. So as a church and as an individual member of the, of the church, I implore you and ask you to do a few things. I ask you guys to wake up daily and remember the testimony of the Lord in your salvation. Also, I ask you to wait to walk daily in the truth of God's testimony of your salvation. God has said that he has redeemed you. Whenever they went to the tomb three days later, he wasn't there. That's a truth that we can walk in daily. We have a risen Lord that has conquered death. I understand we encounter difficult things. We have difficult relationships. We have huge disagreements. But how do we operate in that truth daily of knowing that we serve a good God who is in control of all things? God is faithful even when our world is unfaithful and wicked. That's one of the most difficult things that we experience today. I live in a liberal town where we have lots of college professors and they're very anti-Christian, anti-Christian uh, principles, Christian beliefs, Christian stances. And yet God is faithful in the middle of all that. God is good and sovereign even when our world is unfaithful and wicked. And then lastly, I just ask you guys to think about it more often. I don't know if that's daily or hourly or however that looks, to remember your salvation. That idea of us being presented in front of the Lord, holy and blameless. 
That's not something you just do at one point in your life. That is a daily walk with the Lord. Now, my point in all this is why would we do that? Why would you wake up on a daily basis and do as David did in the Psalms and remember God's testimony to practice that, to verbally say that out loud in your life? Why would you do that? The first reason why we would do that is it would make you more aware on a daily basis of the Holy Spirit's working in your life. Think of David. He had temporary anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's what they had in the Old Testament. Solomon, Samson, they had temporary. The Holy Spirit came on them for a temporary period and then left. What would it look like today to sit down with one of those prophets and say, I have the indwelling of the Spirit? You know how jealous they would be? I mean, I I know that's a, a weird thing to say, but can you imagine? And yet we take it for granted on a daily basis. We forget that we have the indwelling. Like that is such an incredible miracle that the people in the Old Testament would have had no idea of that, of an indwelling permanent in your life at the moment of salvation. I believe that if you would stop and consider that more often, the fact that Christ has saved you, that you might be more aware of the Holy Spirit's working in your life. For me, that is my prayer for myself, that I would wake up more often when I'm looking at my son and I get frustrated at his disobedience, that that calmness that comes over me is from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit should get credit. The Lord should get credit for that. But I need to remind myself of that truth. And then, as I said earlier, the ultimate purpose of why we stop and remember our salvation, that we recount the testimonies of the Lord, is so that God would receive the glory. Now, I didn't have any crazy moments in my life of just this absolute crazy athletic achievements that I'm going to be remembered by. And I'm thankful for that. I pray that my life and everything that I do would only point people to the Lord. Because that's the whole purpose. It was a really interesting thing for me to consider. Honestly, until I came to the West Institute in a conservative seminary that really stands for God's Word and believes in God's Word, I have no understanding of, of God's glory. And when we look at this idea, I'm not, again, I'm not asking you to remember your salvation so that you would be puffed up, so that you would be glorified. I pray that you would remember your salvation more often so that in this world that we're living in, you would be a light for the Lord and that God would be glorified. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church, for this group of people that is here today. Lord, I know that none of this happens by happenstance. Lord, I know that every single person in this room that has put their faith and trust in you is a part of your plan. God, I know that you have known this from eternity. Lord, I pray that that this church and we as a church, Lord, me as an individual, God, that I would be more aware of that truth in the midst of all this chaos. Lord, when we look in the Psalms and it talks about this idea of remembering your testimonies, Lord, that is remembering your truths that you have revealed to us. Not only your works that you've done that have proved it, but just your true words of what you have said. And Lord, I pray that we would remember that that we are different. We are not of this world, Lord. We have been, been risen with you, Lord. We are a new creation in you. Lord, there is nothing that is going to come up around us that really should be shocking. We live in a fallen world. And yet, Lord, you have saved us. Lord, I pray that our testimonies would be an act that would point people unto you. Lord, we know that you are the only one that is truly deserving of glory. And Lord, I pray that our lives will be dedicated to that, and it might just start with remembering our salvation. Father, we love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.